Genesis 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Lord, we look, understanding this world is crazy, but we also know that we've been given understanding about what happened. Sin came into the world. There was a fall from the, the heights of the glory that you created us in making us in your image. And we look, Lord, at, at just what's happened, and it just explained to us in the scriptures. We understand, Lord, at least limitedly, just the plan that you have is one that you will fulfill. You sent Jesus, and through him our sins are forgiven. We have an opportunity to be reconciled to you and know you and walk with you. So, Lord, we're praying for anyone here who doesn't know you this morning that this morning might be the morning they come to know Jesus, the only true God, Jesus, who was sent by him. We pray for their salvation. If that's you, we're praying for you this morning. And, Lord, for us, give us ears to hear. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We don't want to be caught in the muck and mire of this world. But we want to rise up above it as your ambassadors, as salt and light, as ones who make a difference. But Lord, first, you have to make the difference in our lives. Change us, Lord. Transform us so that we then are living out in a greater, uh, in a greater way to be faithful to you and fruitful in all we do. So, Lord, lots of things we could pray right now, but hear our prayer for you in the word right now. The things I prepared, break them fresh, feed us, Lord. We're hungry. We're hungry for you. We're hungry to grow. Lord, we don't want to be losing ground. We want to be gaining it in our faith and trusting you and and thanking you and all those things. So, please, bless the word I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So, Watchman Nee said this, the Christian experience from start to finish is a journey of faith. These chapters, as I've shared this before, I'll continue, have much to teach us about the mysteries and the majesty, the majesty of the faith of Abraham, and we are his children uh, spiritually. Here's what happened. He went out. Here are the things he's learning, and we are learning too. He went out not knowing where he was going. He did not go alone. His most intimate relationships were tested, and we'll see that again this morning. He learned to believe God for his promises. He also learned to trust God in his choices. And so we're going to see this morning again, this whole idea of the choices that we make matter, but God sovereignly, graciously, and mercifully works through all the choices we make 
even the really bad ones, and causes all things to work together for good to those, not just anyone, to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Amen. Now, he also learned that conflict is an inevitable part of this journey. Can you say amen? (laughs) Conflict is an inevitable part of this journey. So as we're looking even this morning again, we are in a spiritual battle. It's a conflict because we are born again by the Spirit of God. Without that experience with Jesus Christ, we have no battle. We're just going like dead fish down a stream. We become alive, and now we're swimming upstream from the things in this world. So last week, faith is not complicated. Believe God. This morning, faith is choosing to believe God. And I want to look at that a little bit with you this morning. J. Vernon McGee said this about chapter 16. He said, I must confess that I almost wish this were not in the Bible, unquote. Why? Because chapter 16 is a painful chapter one of many in the, in the book of God, his, his history. It's very painful in the life of Abram, Sarai, and Hagar. I believe it's very painful, first of all, in God's heart. It's not what he would have wanted, but he allowed that for his purposes. So Ishmael is being conceived in unbelief. Now, things that are conceived in unbelief usually turn out bad, <laughs> This choice that was made by Abram and Sarai in not believing God, this choice has continued to run raging down the corridors of world history even to this day. Ishmael, Isaac. Now we're going to look at a lot more of this as we go through Genesis further on, not this morning. I'll mention it a couple other times. But keep that in mind, that this choice had had these consequences to it, as all of ours do. Little did Abram and Sarah, I know, the consequences, how they would be, again, through all of history, this choice they made in unbelief. Now, this is a testimony that may surprise you, as it has me, this, this time as I'm going through this. It's a testimony to the beauty of God's compassionate purposes in all the ugliness All the unbelief, all the bad choices, all the pride, all the jealousies, all the envies. As I said, God causes all things to work together for good. Not to just anyone. To those who will love him and are called according to his purpose. So the question this morning, are you lined up with his purpose for your life? Are you making choices accordingly? As one born again by the Spirit. So this morning, choosing to be God, three things I want to look at. I'm going to keep this up there through in between passages. First of all, it's choosing to wait it out. Can I hear an amen? We are impatient sinners. <laughs> Secondly, choosing to work it out. That's what it is to believe God. To choose to believe God is to choose to work it out. Finally, it's choosing to stick it out. Hagar. It's amazing. This story, I think, will surprise you a little bit if you haven't read it or studied it much. So it's this timing, God's timing over my scheduling, over my plans. Secondly, it's choosing God's activity, do what God's calling me to do, rather than my passivity, to sit by and just watch. Third, 
It's choosing God's willingness. This is beautiful. God's willingness over all of our willfulness. In other words, it's choosing God's will over my will. God's timing over my timing. God's activity over my passivity. So these these run through the whole chapter as it does the whole Bible, really. So it's choosing to wait it out. Here we are 10 years later. Sarai is getting older in her 70s. Abram is getting older. He's in his 80s. And so in, in, in this happening, there's still no promised child. What's happening, God? How come no child yet? And so what happens? Unbelief has already set in. Now, unbelief can be a momentary thing, but most of the time it's this growing distance from God. This growing distance from the Word of God. This growing distance from the promises of God. This growing distance from the power of God, believing it over time. And unbelief sets in, and listen, unbelief is no respecter of age. It's no respecter of experience. At any time, at any age, we are susceptible to doubting God, especially when he doesn't show up when I think he should, especially when his timing isn't what I think it should be. We are terrible at waiting. We are terrible at patience, even as patients with doctor's offices. And sometimes we're in the doctor's office and we get impatient. Can we just move on from this? God said, hold on a second. We still got some things we got to address here about your spiritual health. At any time, at any age, we're susceptible to taking matters into our own hands because really unconsciously we say, well, I can help God out on this one. And that's what we see going on here. God needs my help. One word I would say to that, not Exclamation, not. God does not need my help. In fact, when I start getting entangled in the things of God, I mess it all up. And God's got to clean up my mess again. How many messes of mine has God cleaned up? I will tell you quite a few. And I'm thankful he's pretty good at doing that. How does he, let me, how does he do that? One word, repentance. That's how he does it. That's how he begins to clean up the mess. If I'll turn from my mess to him, and as I'm dragging that along, he says, well, I can loosen that from your burden, and he does, to repentance and forgiveness and a redirecting of my life in obedience to his will for my life. We can begin to discount the word of God, age, experience. We can begin to discount the power of God and put everything into question That should never be questioned. We begin saying okay to the cultural logic and acceptable practices of the world. We can become worldly. This is what's happening. All these things are happening here in this chapter. The cultures of that day were enshrined in the code of Hammurabi. And that's what we're looking at here. So... An infertile wife, according to the Code of Hammurabi, an infertile wife could offer her slave to her husband. If a child was born as a result, listen, it was against the law for her husband to take her as his wife. 
So this saved the barren woman, the barren wife, from sharing her husband with another wife, yet still provide an heir. In other words, Hagar was in reality not a wife. She was just a womb that Abram and Sarah were using for their purposes, their plan. Sarai's position as Abram's sole wife remained intact. So this was completely legal. It was completely culturally acceptable and therefore in their minds humanly logical. But let me tell you something. Beware. Beware. You see, at any time, we're susceptible to all these kinds of things. But here we are. Choosing to believe God means we have to wait it out, work it out, and stick it out according to God's will, according to God's planning, according to God's timing. So the problem is, in all these matters, is when they're wrong. When they're not acceptable to God. Now, when it's not according to his word, as it is here with Abram and Sarah. So why are we susceptible to these things? May I give you another one word? Pride. It's the root of all sin. We deceive ourselves in thinking we know better than God about this matter, this situation, that person. It's what the Bible calls the flesh that's our problem. Now, the flesh is that fallen nature in the believer that is organized in the wrong direction, contrary to the will of God for our lives. That's the flesh. It can have tremendous sincerity and tremendous passion, and yet it is wrong. And so James tells us, do not be deceived. As he's talking in the context of being tempted to go against the will of God, he says this twice, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Therefore, lay aside all filthy, it's a choice, an overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness, what? The implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word. In other words, it's not just receiving it, it's responding in obedience. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving, there it is again, yourselves. Beware. This is what happens. We begin to distance ourselves from the word of God. God's word instructs and illuminates so that we are not deceived. Romans chapter 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded, which is the mind of the flesh, to be carnally minded is death. It brings no life. It kills everything. The flesh. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind, the mind of the flesh, is enmity against God. It is, for it is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed, listen, neither he can be. Don't try to conform it. You can't do it. You got to kill it. Kill it. Reckon it to be dead. Those thoughts, those things that come in, reckon it to be dead. And when you know the word of God is saying this, and you know, we'll look at this in a moment, you know what the flesh is. We're going to get a good list of it. It's not, it's not complicated. It's not unclear. You know what the list is. So what are you doing? What am I doing? So then those who are in the flesh, look, it cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit, he is not Christ. In other words, you have to be born again. 
When you're born again, when I'm born again, the Spirit of God resides in me, and He, through the Word of God, begins to instruct me and teach me, and so I want to be led by the Spirit of God. I want to be filled with the Spirit of God, but first, I must be born again by the Spirit of God, and what this tells me is tremendous hope. When I'm born again, I didn't pay for the Holy Spirit. Well, God, I appreciate the salvation, but could I? No. Galatians, how did you receive the Spirit? By the works of the law? No. God gave to us his Holy Spirit, this incredible relationship of the Holy Spirit into our lives. And so as we have the Holy Spirit, now it's understanding, how do I live by the Spirit? How do I, am I led by the Spirit? So Galatians, I say then walk in the Spirit. And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are, notice, contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Paul said in Romans, I want to do these things, but I realize I got this battle going on. With my mind, I serve the law of God. I love what God's saying. I want to do what God's saying. But with my flesh, the law of sin. So there's a battle going on. So why are we susceptible? Because we have this battle of our fleshly nature versus our spiritual birth. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You are free to live a life pleasing to God. It's incredible. Continuing. Now the works, here they are. You want to know if it's the flesh or the Spirit? Just go to, go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh, and this is one of those ugly lists in the Bible. I mean, it's ugly. But it's also very clear. The works of the flesh, right now the works of the flesh, what I'm doing. Are, are, which are, they're evident, which are adultery. Now, adultery is, as a married person, you're sleeping with someone else's wife or husband. Fornication, that's sex before marriage. Uncleanest lunatics, those are, those are more, dis, more descriptions on sexual immorality, sexual impurity. And, and it's no wonder they're up there four times because it's such a problem. But why is it such a problem? I'll tell you, because it's a very powerful drive. Powerful. That's why it's used. That's why it's so, such a, a business that's making zillions of dollars. Why? Appealing to this desire God-given out outside and away from the will of God for it. Lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies. He goes on. Envy, murder. Murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things, notice this, this is sobering, will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, if your lifestyle hasn't changed, if you're continuing in all these things, you better beware. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. If you are going to choose to believe God, you better believe what he's written in his word. And I say, another word, the same word is needed again, repentance. The goodness of God leads you to repentance. And the things that are going on, if it's on this list or it comes under a subtitle of one of these words, listen, brothers and sisters, may I plead with you as the Holy Spirit would plead with me in my times of sinfulness, just repent. Come back. 
and say, I've done these things. This has happened. And God, in his great mercy and through the gospel of Jesus Christ, then shed, the blood is then once again, it takes care of my sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Come to repentance. Put it behind you as best you can. Make the choice. Come to God and get it right so that he can begin to make things right. Is that easy? No. Well, see, this is Hagar. She made a choice to go back and live under difficult situations. Why? Well, look at that. Why? Because she saw that God hears. She saw and God sees. She saw the whole thing. In all her affliction, she decided to return to the difficulties of life in obeying God. And that's what happens. But the fruit of the Spirit, you see, you have the works of the flesh, bondage. The fruit of the Spirit, freedom. Love. I believe the next ones are just defining love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self. Against there is, there is no law. No, it's, it's fruit. You didn't work it out. God worked it out in you. In relationship with him, through the Holy Spirit. Jesus said concerning the vine and the branches. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. He who does not abide in me is cast out as a branch and is withered. That's what happens when you get out of a relationship. You cast out a branch and is withered. And they gather them, throw them in the fire and they burn. But if you abide in me, my words abide in you. You'll ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. So my Father will be glorified because you bear much fruit. I'm getting excited. God, help us stay in relationship. Make the choices to, to work it out. Another scripture. Nope, back. Unless I missed a page. Did I miss a page? Oh, yeah, I did miss that one. Here, go back to that one. Yeah. One more. One more head. Yeah, there's. Here's the one. Yeah. Trust the Lord. You know it. You could say it with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In how many ways? In all your ways acknowledge who? Him. And who shall? He shall direct your path. Come back to it again and again. Come back to it again and again. As you're making choices, as you're choosing to wait it out, here it is. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. But in all your ways acknowledge, and he will direct your path. Choosing to work it out. Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you have all... Now, he's coming out of this whole wonderful past of Jesus in obedience to the Father coming in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as men, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now he says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have, you has, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now all, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Jesus came and did a work of our salvation work of redemption. And now we come into relationship with God and we must work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it's God who works in us both to will and do what please. In other words, I, I'm getting a little, my tongue's going, I can tell. Okay, I'll slow down. Slow down. <laughs> we are in a partnership with God. He will be doing what he does as we allow him to take and direct our lives according to his will. When we're resistant, he can't accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And when we're resistant, we're not trusting him. We're not trusting in his promises. We're not trusting his power. 
We're not trusting in the things that he wants to accomplish. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared, how? Beforehand, that we should what? Walk in them. God's got it all laid out. Are we going to get in line with him and work it out? Fear and time for it. It's God who works in you both to will and to do what pleases him. I almost say, how can you lose? God who spared not his own son, but delivered up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ that died, furthermore is also risen, and is seen at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Nah, and all these things. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. How can we lose? By not making the choice to wait it out, to work it out, and to stick it out. What God has planned for us is out of this world, literally. <sighs> now, in here, Sarah acknowledges the wrong. Verse 5, Sarah said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when you saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. Now, I believe that Abram should have been actively involved in what was going on here. Actively intervening, not sitting by. So it says there, he listened to the voice of Sarai. Verse 2. Sarah took Hagar, gave him, and he went into Hagar. Verse 5. Sarah said, Abram, my wrong be upon you. I gave you to my maid. And in other words, passivity is very dangerous when we should be actively involved and what we see going on. Abram said to Sarah, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you will. So now he gives the whole thing over to Sarai. You do what you want to do. And so what did she do? She was very harsh. Jealousy was winning out. Abram's passivity perpetuated and compounded pain and problems. And that is many times what's going on. This kind of passivity when there should have been activity was wrong. Wrong against himself. Wrong against his wife Sarai. Wrong against the servant Hagar. Marriage. What we have here in the Bible is the first triangle. A marriage is not a triangle. It's a couple. With the triangle being God. So here we have this... <laughs> This marriage that now someone else has come in. And let me say that's always wrong and it's always painful and it's always a problem. And I hope if there's, I pray, brother or sister, if you're messing around outside your marriage, that you get that right with God today. Today. It's wrong against yourself. It's wrong against your wife. It's wrong against whoever that person is. It's wrong. It's, God has not called you to that at all, however you might rationalize that or think it through. And let me say this, to get that right is extremely, extremely difficult. But let me say also, it's extremely courageous. You need to do it. Not because I said so. Because if you're a believer, God said so. And he will help you. And he will get you through it. But you must make the choice of repentance. The family. 
wronged here. Plenty of blame to go around. But let me tell you, marriage and family take the brunt of bad decisions. The brunt of living outside the will of God. The brunt of not waiting. The brunt of not working things out. And there's plenty of blame to go all around. Pride, as Abraham watched, pride raises its ugly head. Hagar is proudly pregnant. Huh, I'm, how come you can't get pregnant? And there's Sarai going, I hate you. Serious. And just the hatred and jealousy. And you can feel it because you've been through it in your family to some degree. When things are wrong, when things aren't right, jealousy, envy, hatred, separation, division, all of that comes as a mess. Dealing harshly, Sarah. There are situations when it is wrong to not take action. There are those situations when it's wrong to just sit by and hope it works out. I am personally, just recently, having to deal with some of that in my own life. It's not easy, but I'll tell you, I appreciate the brother who said to me, you need to do what God's called you to do. It changed everything. Your accountability to God must always be your priority before God. Your accountability to God must always be your priority before God. He is the first one that you must ask yourself, Lord, what would you have me to do? How would you have me to respond? There come those situations when even against the majority of your loved one's opinions, you must act according to those convictions that God has put in your heart, particularly in the responsibilities you have as a leader. And it might be different for someone else in that same position with someone else, but for you, what's God told you to do? We must always confront the cultural logic the acceptable practices of the world that are killing us, killing marriages, killing families, killing friends, killing jobs, killing futures, because this world is contrary to the will of God. It has nothing of the love of God in it. It appeals to the sinful practices and drives of our sinful nature. Lord, what will you have me to do? We must choose to work it out. The question is this. Who's in charge of you? Someone else or God? The question is also, who's in charge of the choices that you make? You or God? James puts it this way. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we shall... We will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, and I love this, if the Lord wills, we shall first of all live. (laughs) I like that. If the Lord wills, we shall live. I might not even be here tomorrow. And do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. 
When I begin to say, I know better than God, I can do what I want to do, that's what the problem was at the Tower of Babel and all through the history of man. I know what I'm going to do, and God's not going to be able to, I don't care what God thinks or whatever, and I don't think we brazenly do that. But James says, hey, all such arrogance is boasting. He says, therefore, to him who knows to good and does not do it, to him it is sin. When I know what God said, when I know what God's told me, and, I, and he's in charge, then I must do that, or it's a problem. So Hagar is despised, desperate, lonely woman. She flees to go back to her home in Egypt. It's like walking from Seattle to Spokane, pregnant. Now, many women, can you imagine that? <laughs> but her her, her maternal instincts are in fifth gear as she's walking. Hagar had two things she could have done. Number one, choose to stay in this horrible situation with no voice and no value. Or run away and try to get back home to Egypt. It took tremendous courage, and I'm sure fearfully, but she, that's what she did. She said, I'm taking the second. I'm out of here. I'm fleeing. Now, that created more problems. She would most likely die in the harsh wilderness. The chance of her surviving was next to nothing. Not only that, she was a runaway slave carrying the property of her mistress. Not only that, she was a fugitive breaking the law. And listen, this is what my heart of compassion, God's compassion, all of this was through no fault of her own. When Abraham went down to Egypt, he probably brought her back with him. Abraham, now, Abraham and Sarah now choose to use her as the womb, and now she's going through what she's going through. This woman, Hagar, in my book, is an absolutely amazing woman of faith, as we'll see in a moment. That's that's what may surprise you. But I also think that she's also the same kind of amazing woman in God's book as I look at this. The surprising twist to Hagar's story, it's choosing to stick it out. Choosing God's willingness toward her over her willfulness against others. So the angel of the Lord found her, notice, by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. That's on the way to Egypt. The angel of the Lord found her a desperate and lonely woman. The angel of the Lord, I believe, is a theophany of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. The angel of the Lord is, is many times connected to Yahweh. The angel of the Lord then says, verse 8, he said, Hagar, Sarah's my, Sarah's my maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. So not only the angel of the Lord find her in her desperate straits and afflictions, the angel of the Lord engaged her, the fugitive and runaway slave. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Here's what's fascinating to me. The angel Lord gave her very hard instructions to hear, much less heed. In other words, she's going to return back to slavery? She's going to return back to having no voice and no value? She's going to return back to this toxic situation? 
And listen, it would be 14 more years before Isaac was born. And you can imagine the tension in the home for 14 years as little Ishmael's growing up. And, and Sarah's going, I hate that. What? And Abram's going, hey, that's my son. That's my son. And later on, we're going to see him. Oh, that Ishmael might live above him. He loved Ishmael. It's his son. Not Sarai. So for 14 years. But listen, we'll get this more as I said. It will turn out to be thousands of years after Isaac was born that this ongoing, perpetual, and blood-soaked history of resentment and bitterness will continue to today. Ishmael, Isaac. The promise the unbelief. The angel of the Lord then noticed this, spoke to her and gave her hope. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they, will not, they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. Just what he said to Mary. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard what? Your affliction. God hears he shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. So this is the same kind of promise that God gave to Abram. These promises are separate. And but though they're separate, they're going to continue to intersect through all the history of the world. These two descendant families. Hagar would become the, this is fascinating to me too, Hagar becomes the one matriarch we read about in the Bible next to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. That to me is not thought about, but that's amazing to me. She's a matriarch. God himself names her son. He didn't do that very often. Now what does he say? He would not be alone. He would have a large family. He would be free. Now, all these things, if you can imagine, with, with Hagar, the opposite. He would be a warrior wild man. Now, I have five sons, and I say every son is a wild man. <laughs> and I believe that God designed men to be warriors. To be warriors. He and his descendants would be a hostile people living in the Arabian desert. Get that in chapter 25. His descendants would live in perpetual conflict with all those around them. He, his hand would be against everyone, their hand against him and his descendants. The descendants of Ishmael are to the present day this problem under which the whole world groans. You can see, not knowing this one choice, it's staggering the consequence that can be in one bad choice. It may be the beginning of a long history of trouble. One choice. It may turn out to be bad news. In fact, this bad news, out, turn, this bad news across every frontier of God's prophetic word, this was problem. Ishmael. Descendants of Ishmael. But let me say this. It's never apart from God's divine plan of redemption running in the background. God is at work through all the mess and the choices that are made and that we make. 
Then she called the name, she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. This, I think this is the only time I know of in the Bible, you can help me maybe later, where someone actually named God. So it's this, this is just an amazing encounter of God with her. You are the God who sees, for she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? So she's seen him. Then she says, therefore, the well was called Beer Lahoy Roy. Observe, it is between Kedesh and Bered. So Hagar is the one person who has this very incredible encounter engaging with, this, with what I believe is the theophany of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And she says, you are the God who sees. But more than that, the well from which she would draw for her life in, in affliction. She says, you are the God, the living one who sees me. You see me. And Ishmael, you name Ishmael because God hears. So Hagar bore Abram and Abram named his son whom Hagar bore him, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So here's a- a- Hagar having this encounter with the angel Lord, and she returns, knowing the incredibly difficult situations she was walking right back into. But she does it willingly. She puts herself in this difficult living situation for years, years. Hagar is doing this for one reason and one reason only. She has met the angel of the Lord. Actually, he found her. He found her. And so, as we're looking at this whole thing, she's trusting God now. She's believing God that he is going to do what he promised he would do. Listen, here's what's happening. She is living for her son. She is living for her son. In what God promised her, for his son, for her son. The God who sees, the living one who sees me, the God who hears, I met him. I was encountered with him. That's why I returned. As difficult as her future looks, I believe she's also thanking God as she returns. Psalm 28, 7, I can hear her saying this. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song, I will praise him. Hagar, despised, desperate, lonely woman, an Egyptian alien facing facing racial and social prejudice regularly, a slave, a property, a possession, no be further shame to endure, harsh treatment to endure in this world, in this life. No voice, no value. She could have just as easily been dead and her son with her. She was a hunted fugitive and lawbreaker. She was suffering from no fault of her own, and yet God met her as she fleed. He found her as she fleed. He engaged with her as she was fleeing. He gave her some hard instructions to hear, much more even to heed. But then he spoke to her and gave her hope. And the response, Hagar spoke to him and returned in hope. May I say to you, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. It's the gospel of a loving God 
who found us, engaged us, gave us some hard instructions. Yes, it is hard. When we hear, you cannot be my disciple unless you take up my cross and follow me. Hard instructions. In this world, you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. This is not an easy life to live. It's difficult. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter, Romans, Paul says. But in these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. And we return again and again to walk through this world in spite of the difficulties that God said here. You got to go back. You got to return. You got to get engaged again. You got to be doing the things that I'm calling you to do. You got to be waiting when I tell you to wait. You got to be working it out. You got to be sticking it out. Because I hear and I see. And you know me. And that's the picture of the gospel. Hi, I'm Kevin Day, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel South. I really hope you enjoyed the message and that God spoke to your heart through it. If you'd like to know more about our church and find other messages to watch, head over to ccskent.org. And I would love to meet you at one of our Sunday services. God bless you.